The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I need more space. <laughs> you can open your Bibles to um, John's Gospel, chapter 12. It's kind of an interesting time, isn't it? It's a bit of weird. Uh, I don't, can't remember when last we had Easter the full Easter week coincide with school holidays. Can you remember that? I can't remember actually when last we did this. So this is the Palm Sunday, isn't it? This is the beginning of the Passover. This is the first day of the Passover week normally in Israel's life. And it's an incredibly important week. And uh, But we don't share that because it's not part of our culture. Yes, if the kids want to go out, you can go out. And if any of the grown-ups also want to go... Um, <laughs> Much nicer to be a child than to be a grown-up at times. Um, you're welcome to go. Um, so yes, so this is a time of deep contemplation, a time of actually for us, uh, because we, in one sense we know the entire story, um, but if you try and put yourself back into when this happened in Jesus' time, um, it is actually quite difficult. Maybe the easiest way to do it is, can you guys remember what date is the human rights date in South Africa? 21st of March, yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Can you remember the couple of days leading up to the 21st of March, what was going on in the country? Can you remember? What was going on? Shutdown, uncertainty, political fervor was trying to be pushed up. Um, but most of you are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I think it happened, yeah, you know. <laughs> so it's a little bit difficult for us to understand the kind of issues that was going on during Passover uh, for Israel. Because Passover is the most sacred festival for Israel. It is the, the reality. It's where they were born as a nation, right back in the book of Exodus. And every year for 1,800 years plus, whatever, how long it was that they were around, they have been celebrating the fact that God has saved them and brought them into being as a nation. So the joy and the festivities and the expectations was massive. But at the same time, 
every single year for the last 400 years, they were also made aware every single time with Passover that they were enslaved by another nation. And at this stage in the history, by the Romans. And so you have this incredible uh, political reality. They have these aspirations of freedom, liberation, being set free, being God's people, being proclaimed by God to be His people. And on the other hand, they were reminded every single uh, Easter, we call it Easter Passover, that you are enslaved. And because of the history of what has happened, uh, a lot of political things were happening. If you read the passage, you'll pick it up. So all the Gospels look at them slightly different and give us a slightly different version of what happened. John is the, is the most different. He kind of has a completely different take on it. And he highlights that the leaders of Israel were very worried about Jesus because he had this incredible following because he has raised Lazarus from the dead. So if you go to your Bibles, go to John chapter 12. And I just want to show you that. Um, so they were very worried. And we need to understand a little bit about the reason why they were so worried if we're going to make sense of contemplating what is going on. So, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he has raised from the dead. So, I mean, the people were kind of flocking and they're on their way because Passover is coming and everybody's moving and then... So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. What a bummer. He was just raised. Now they want to kill him. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So they were very worried. Because they did not obviously understand what Jesus was on about. But that Jesus was a powerful man. He just raised somebody from the dead. And that people were flocking there. Uh, it's got quite a big concern for them. They were worried that the Romans will actually react negatively to this kind of zealous uh, idea because they didn't understand what Jesus was on about at all. When we're actually even told, if you are confused, then don't worry. Everybody else was confused. Look at verse 16 <laughs> of chapter 12. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. So they didn't understand. The population didn't understand. The leadership of Israel didn't understand. And obviously, Pilate didn't understand, although he doesn't feature exactly, but he's in the background of this entire story. He doesn't understand what's going on. And the Jews were very worried that if you have suddenly this uprising, this enthusiasm, that there's going to be a war. And the reason is because there was one. In the year 4 before Christ came, there was a massive uprising of these zealot Jews who were excited that they were going to finally get rid of the Romans. So they rose up, took stones, and killed a couple of hundred Roman soldiers. All right? And so the Romans do what Romans normally do in their gentleness. They moved in and killed, slaughtered 3,000 Jews. 9-11? Same thing slaughtered 3,000 Jews and stopped Easter or stopped Passover from happening in the year four before Christ. Fascinating. So ever since then, every year Passover starts, the governor, the Roman governor would come with an entire army all the way from Caesarea and approach Jerusalem on the first day of the festival 
from the western side. So the other way around for you guys. Will come from the western side <clears throat> to make sure that all excitement, all hope, all fervor for liberation from them would be crushed simply by the sight of all these war horses and marching men and metal gleaming in the sun and drums beating and all these guys would come towards Jerusalem from the western side and all your excitement of can we just have a real celebration of freedom is just dashed every single year. And in this year, it actually happened. This is Pontius Pilate coming up from Caesarea with his entire army and its drums and its horses and its lances and its metal gleaming in the sun. And with their power, they force peace and unsettledness. But the leaders of Israel are very aware that you've got these crowds that are getting really excited about Jesus and they are worried that these guys are going to get so excited that the Romans are going to come. Or that Jesus may say, ah, actually, I will come for this very reason to bring about a change within Jerusalem. And you all know that the word Jerusalem means the city of peace. So the one thing that you had at Passover for the last 400 years was no peace. Because everybody was unhappy and unsettled and everybody was looking for political freedom uh, and everybody wanted to flex their muscles in one sense. But the Romans were always there, ready to crush it. So that just gives us a little bit of the background of what is going on. Why these guys are so on edge. They actually say it a little bit earlier in John. It would be better for Jesus to die than for the Romans to come and slaughter the entire nation. Because it's of what happened in four before Christ. So that's part of the background of what is going on here. And that's why it's so interesting when you start to look at this. So we are asked... In this time of the year, we actually come together and we start to contemplate, who is this Jesus? Because it seems like most people in those days did not know who he was. And uh, JP just told us right now that there are still people who don't know who he is and what he's on about. And so let's have a look and see what is going on here. All right, so you've got the background. Fascinating background. Lots of, lots of stirring, lots of unsettledness, uh, lots of desire, longing, uh, hopes crushed. You know all those experiences? You know when you wake up on a Monday morning? You know, you've got all these hopes that things are going to change, it's going to get better, it's going to... This is just on steroids, alright? This is just way out there. And so, let's quickly have a look and see what is going on here. So, the people are excited, they are very happy. So, people are streaming in on the way to this, this festival. Uh, most of the Jews would actually come from the east side. That's where they're coming in, and we'll pick up on some of these interesting things as they are following uh, uh, Jesus Christ. So some of them are following him, and some are in the city, and then here that he is, and then they go out and go and greet him. So there's a, it's kind of chaos as you, as you look at this. But look at what the people are doing, verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Alright, so Palm branches are only mentioned in John's Gospel of all the Gospels. It's the only place that actually mentions that they did palm branches. And palm branches are fantastic uh, uh, message. Uh, do you know what the message is of palm branches? Have you, have, anybody watch rugby yesterday or something like that? You get these um, 
these big uh, plastic hands that people are waving at the, at the games. I'm your biggest fan, or you know, Western Province, or whatever. That, no, that's not what it is, actually. <laughs> Got nothing to do with that. Palm branches are actually a political statement. They are not celebrating that Jesus is such. They are declaring and hoping that he will be what they think he ought to be. They want him to be the king that they want him to be. Palm branches is all about, actually again, you've got to go back into the history. Everything comes from history. What is going on? In the year 168 before Christ, the Syrians were ruling over Israel. And there was a particular man that was particularly evil. His name was Epiphanes. And he actually took a pig and slaughtered a pig in the temple on the altar and sprinkled its blood everywhere and then sent out representatives to the different towns in Judah and forcing people to offer sacrifices to idols. One of the priests in one of those towns, Matthias, got pretty miffed at this. So he took a big dagger and actually killed the Jew who was prepared to make the sacrifice in this little town. I think it's called Madei. Or Madeon. And then he killed the inspector from the ruler. And they killed all the people that came with him. And then he ran for his life. Soon after he got sick and he was lying on his deathbed and he said to his sons, his five sons, I want you to avenge the people of Israel and to kill the Romans. His third son, Judas, Maccabee, actually said, cool, I'll do it. And Judas started an uprising and became pretty good at it. And he started to kill Romans. Uh, 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 sorry, Syrians. Not Romans in those days, but Syrians. And he was getting more and more successful. And eventually he actually entered Jerusalem and took back part of the temple. And set up the Hasmonean dynasty that ran for quite a number of years. Very powerful man. His name was Maccabee, which means Judas the Hammer. He saw everything else as a nail. And therefore hammered everything. He brought peace through war. The Romans have peace over Jerusalem through war. Power. When you have competing armies, everybody's always fighting for peace. <laughs> That's what they tell themselves. If we can get rid of you, then we will have peace. But if we can get rid of you, then we will have peace. So guess what happens when you've got two wars coming at one another? The one thing you will never have is peace. You may have victory for a while, and then there's this thing called joy and love that you've conquered us that oozes out of people, and then everything is hunky-dory, is it? No, you've got anger, resentment, hatred, which builds up into another war, and then whoever wins the next one has peace on their terms for how long, and the cycle just keeps on repeating itself. So in those days, when Judas the hammer became very effective at nailing everything, they actually started to use palm branches 
to represent the liberation. And they even minted coins with the palm branch on it saying, for the liberation of Israel. And so these people, the crowds, are coming and they are saying, we would like you, Jesus, to actually come as this kind of a king. We want you to hammer, literally, the Romans so that we could have the peace that we have always been longing and waiting for. And maybe your ability, your power to raise someone from the dead gives us an indication that you are the man. So they got the story half right, isn't it? I mean, you must be pretty powerful to do a resurrection or a resuscitation then at least. Um, after four days, I was starting to smell already. So they are making some right deductions, but not others. And so here they are starting to shout, waving their palm branches, mm -hmm. saying, we are looking for a political king who will be like Judas Maccabee and will bring about peace for mankind. At least for us. And that's really what is going on. And here they take songs, and they were singing all these songs coming from Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they add something that is not there. Blessed is the king of Israel. That you won't find in the songs. That last little bit. So they deliberately say, we want you to come. Hosanna simply means save us. Could be a little bit more uh, 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 kind of intense. Save us now. It's, in, it's, a, it's a word that kind of highlights this. We want you to save us now. Do it now. Come and now. Do use your power to bring peace to us. Because we are God's people and we have been longing for liberation. God has liberated us. We are now at the festival of liberation, of freedom. See all the excitement? What does Jesus do in response to that? So they are very excited that he would come and that he would come as the king and he would come in the name of the Lord and that he will actually bring about this peace that they are looking for. Jesus, verse 14, responds in a very odd way. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Fascinating. So Jesus is using street theater and he is actually communicating to them and he picks this weird prop. It's called the donkey. And he gets onto this donkey. Now, John doesn't tell us all the little details. If you read all the other Gospels, there's quite an extended time when Jesus sends two of his disciples to go and uh, get the donkey for him. And he prepares everybody for it and says, go and fetch this donkey. And if somebody asks you why you want it, you just say, the Lord needs it and they will let it go. And all of that language is, again, language we don't fully understand. It simply means that he has the right, a king has the right to demand transport in order to enter into a city. And so by Jesus actually acquiring this donkey in this way, he was saying, I am the king. I do have the right to actually get you to provide the transport for me to enter into your city. And so that's what Jesus thinks. And one of these affirming, you've got it right, I am the king. But no, you're wrong. I'm not the kind of king that comes in order to wage war in the way that humans wage war in order to have peace. I'm the kind of king that comes on a donkey. I'm a king that comes in and on an animal of humility. I come on the animal of peace itself. And that is exactly what Zechariah said. It's that your king will come and he will come not in power, 
but he will come in humility. He will come in weakness. He will come to submit himself to the powers that wants to destroy and kill. He will come and do it gladly. He will come and actually remove all the war issues. And he will come and he will proclaim peace, not only to Israel, but to all the nations. That's what he will come and do. And that's what Jesus says, well, yeah, I am. I am your king, but I'm not the kind of king that everybody wants. Everybody wants a king that will come in and has the power to sort out everyone that doesn't agree with your understanding of life. Isn't that what you're looking for? Aren't you looking for a political party that will sort out everything that you don't like and install everything you do like and to remove anybody that stands in the way? That's what we all want, isn't it? Our natural reaction is we're looking for someone who's like us, someone who will fight like us, think like us, and sort out anybody that's opposed to us because that's the way in which we will actually bring about peace for us. Sorry if you're on the other side. And that's just human, isn't it? And here comes Jesus, and no one understands this. No one, none of us, I mean, I don't think we naturally get it. I don't get it. That Jesus actually comes and says, the way in which I will establish peace on this world is by actually submitting myself to all the forces of evil. And that's how I will overcome it. Now, I mean, that's just not my natural way of fighting. I don't know about you. How many of you get up in the morning and say, wow, today I can follow Jesus and lay down my life to bring about peace? In your marriage, with your kids, at work. It just, it just doesn't compute, does it? We want to be strong and be right and get it right and make everybody do the right thing because then everything will be right. And Jesus comes and he says, well, I am your king, but I'm not a king like you have actually thought of at all. I come to bring peace in an entirely different way. Luke's gospel, very interesting. He picks up on this. Everybody's excited because this is the time of liberation. This is the time of the declaration of God's goodness over Israel for centuries in the hope that he would do that again. Everybody's kind of excited and hopeful. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and what does he do? He cries. He mourns, he weeps bitterly, and he says to him, if only you would understand what it takes to actually bring about peace. But you don't. Fascinating, isn't it? So hard for us to stop long enough and think, why, why is God so different to us? Why is he so opposite to us in one sense? And he says, well, here's my son, here's my king. Jesus says, yeah, I am. I come, but I don't come as you want me to come. I come in a way that actually will bring about peace, not only for you, but for everyone. He declares peace to all the nations. His peace will cover the entire earth. He says, that's what I'm after. I'm not after peace just for me and my people. I'm after peace for everyone. But we don't fully understand and grasp the full implications and the disciples didn't at that stage. They only understood a little bit better. The crowds are still confused. They are still being swept up into a frenzy. And then look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone on. They definitely don't want peace with the Romans. 
They want pieces of the Romans, but not peace. And it's fascinating as you look at this. And Jesus is saying, well, this is why I'm coming. And he's coming at that exact time, the first day of the Passover, which is really interesting. You know what else happened on the first day of Passover? Anyone knows from history? They bring in all the Passover lambs. Guess where they breed all the Passover lambs for Passover? Don't you know your Bible name? They didn't tell us. <laughs> Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. At this time of the year, all the Passover lambs that people are going to select and then look after for four days to see if they're spotless, actually come on this day down the mountain into Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus even went through the same gate as them. And Jesus is saying, I am a king, but I'm not like a hammer. I'm actually the Lamb of God. That's why I've come. And I want to encourage you this next couple of days. Most of you have a bit of holiday. Try and read all the days leading up to Thursday night's Passover meal to see how Jesus goes about and puts himself forth as the Passover lamb. He goes into the public domain. He stands in the middle of the temple and he teaches and preaches and explains himself so that everybody can assess whether he is worthy of that claim. So as you had to look after your lamb, according to Exodus, you had to choose a lamb, look after him for four days to see that he's got no spots and blemishes because only an unblemished animal can actually be slaughtered for the Passover meal. Jesus says, well, yeah, I've come, I've come. I've come as God's king, but I've come as a humble king on a donkey to bring about peace. And I myself is the sacrifice. And you can observe me over the next four days as I explain who I am, what I'm about, what my kingdom is about, how I think, how different I am to you, so that you can assess whether you think I'm worthy. And we all know what they decided. That he isn't worthy. And yet he is. And that's what we believe today, isn't it? It's fascinating when you start to just know a little bit about the background of how this works. Jesus comes as the Lamb of God to bring the peace that transcends all understanding and that covers the entire world. And that is the only hope for mankind. Everywhere where humans get involved without Jesus, they're all fighting for peace. But actually, we can never bring it about. Because our ways of fighting war to bring peace will never bring that about at all. And that's what Jesus is challenging us this morning, just as we are his followers. Which Jesus are you following? Which one are you waiting for, hoping for? That's the one he says. He says, well, I've come to actually bring peace, not the hammer. I've come to forgive and love my enemies. We hear this over and over again. I've come to enter into conflict. Isn't that interesting? Jesus comes for peace, but he doesn't stand on the side. He goes right into Jerusalem, the very place of this highly volatile world. And he says, I've come to bring that, and I step right into it. I'll go wherever I can see the heart of peace is not operational. That's where I go. I've come for that. 
that's a massive call in our lives, isn't it? When you see people not at peace, when you see people not in relationship to God, in relationship to others, do you step in or do you step out? He says, I'm the kind of king that steps into conflict. Yes, it will cost me my life, yes. <laughs> but that's what I do. Sounds like almost last week's sermon, isn't it? Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Massive thing, isn't it? Major challenge for me. To step into conflict. I kind of hope that it will just sort itself out. Hope that it will kind of, you know, find some comfortable middle ground somewhere along the line. Jesus says, now as my disciples, as I have come, I've stepped right into the conflict. And I've raised it, but I've, I'm prepared to pay for it. I'm prepared to confront it. And not to actually use my power, raise the dead, to do it. That's what, that's what he calls on us. Massive challenge for us. To think and reflect, what Christ is it that we are following? A Christ that actually comes to bring this peace that we all long for, and yet is so elusive. It keeps on slipping through our fingers. And Jesus is saying, come, follow me. I am the one that is going to bring about peace. And it's peace for everyone. Parents, have you ever tried to make peace between your children? <laughs> How hard is it, even at that level, to find both of them at peace? You tend to, who had who, who it first? They're fighting about a toy, isn't it? Then it becomes, if you have it first, then it means the other one must just give up. You know what I'm saying? We find all sorts of little rules because we want peace, but not actual peace that involves everybody. And Jesus says, I've come to bring about a peace that will actually involve everyone and all of everyone. Not just on the one side. Fascinating. And Jesus is saying, come, follow me. I am your king. I come in humility and I come to do that, but I actually come to also pay the price. And so in one sense, that's what we are, scriptures calls us, and I guess Jesus is that himself. He is the lamb of God that is slain, and he says, follow me. So, are we ready? Contemplate what it will cost us to be proclaimers of this Jesus who brings about peace in this really weird, upside-down way. Speaks absolutely truthfully, never takes anything into his own hands, and never damages anyone else. I don't know if that's a challenge to you. <laughs> it's a huge challenge to me. To actually go with that attitude and that action and to present Christ. Because He is the only one who can bring peace between God and man. He's the only one who can bring peace between man and God. He's the only one who can bring peace between man and man because they have been reconciled with God. And that becomes our concern. Which is a massive challenge, isn't it? In the public domain today, we don't talk about God. We don't talk about Jesus. We try and have peace, but without a reference to Him. Because it's uncomfortable. People laugh at you. They'll probably fire you. I mean, that's what they would probably do. Difficult, isn't it? Hard to actually be peacemakers in the way that Jesus Christ is Himself. 
he has set for us the way forward. And he says, well, people need to hear and see, in one sense, what I've done. Maybe, maybe, then they will be able to hear. And even in this Gospel of John, we see that hardly anybody heard. Anybody understood what he was doing. So as we contemplate over the next couple of days, as we work towards Friday, and Jesus actually gives his life, the ultimate price, and you just think and contemplate a little bit about how can I know him better so that I can follow him in his footsteps. As the Jewish tradition is, if you follow someone, you must follow so closely that the dust that is picked up by their sandals land on you. That's the picture of a disciple. Somebody who follows so closely that whenever they pick up dust, it actually lands on you. And in one sense, that's what Jesus Christ is calling us at this stage in our world, is to be representatives of the gospel. To proclaim that there's peace only in Christ and that it comes at the cost to yourself. And ask God to give you the grace to follow. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are not what we think you are. We want to thank you that you are not what we aspire you to be, as these people were in one sense trying to force you into a role that is not yours, that you did not come to fulfill. Lord, we all have great plans for you and how you should run this world. We ask you to forgive us for that. We ask you to help us to look carefully and with the help of the Holy Spirit to see that you are the one who is not like a hammer, but you are one that's like a lamb. We thank you that you come in absolute truth and in absolute humility, and that you come at immense and absolute personal cost. So Lord, we pray that you will help us to think through and try and work out what does this look like for us as your disciples. We thank you that we have clarity, a bit more clarity around who you are and how you operate and what you value and how you go about bringing righteousness and peace together. We pray that we will give us confidence in you. We pray that you will give us joyful ability to follow you. Lord, we want to glorify you with everything, not only with our lips, but with our hearts and with our eyes and with our hands, and with our feet. So won't you help us, Lord, to, in one sense, spend the next couple of days as things are a little bit slower and lower, and, uh, and work with you, and figure out what is it that you have done for us. Help us to observe you carefully. Help us to assess and examine you as you have made yourself available for us so that we can see whether we really believe that you are the king, that you are the one and the only one who can bring about whatever human heart at the deepest level desires. And that is actually this peace. So thank you. Thank you that you are the king of peace. Thank you that you give us peace, even in the midst of our trials. And thank you that you are the only one who can change every heart 
and capture every imagination so that as human beings we may follow after you. So thank you Lord for this just couple of minutes of thinking and contemplating your word with you. And we pray that you will indeed bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.